invite you, if you would, to take your Bible and turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, and we're going to be looking at the first two verses. If you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 54. starting a new sermon series that will take us through most of the fall and into Advent on the Ten Commandments. And giving you kind of a rationale for why we're doing this, there's certain portions of Scripture that are fundamental, that we ought to know and be conversant with and really lean into and to understand what God's saying to us through them. Now, all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's all profitable. But the church throughout the ages has acknowledged that there are these passages that are just chief passages that God's people ought to know. And so we're going to do that a little bit here as a church. We're going to go through the Ten Commandments, Lord willing. In the winter and spring, we'll do the Sermon on the Mount. Next summer, I hope that we're going to do the book of Proverbs. And so that's kind of where we're going. That's a, a preview of where we're headed over the next few months. I've titled the sermon series, For Love of God and Neighbor. That it's really important for us that we understand the intent of the law and the heart of the lawgiver. And ultimately, our purpose is to love God more fully and love our neighbor more as we love ourselves. And so that's a background, an interpretive principle that we need to keep ever before us. I invite you to listen to Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This afternoon is our end of summer celebration. And I always chuckle each year when we get to the end of summer celebration because it really depends on who you are about how you feel about the end of summer. Most of you who are parents, you're like, end of summer. Send them back so they can be educated and grow up and you know, somebody else can come alongside me in this task of raising my children. But students, largely, I think if they say end of summer celebration, there's this, it's an oxymoron. What are you talking about? We ain't celebrating the end of summer. In part, I think, because there is in us this thought about school that, that school is the place of rules and regulations and do this and don't do that and be quiet in the hall and walk on this side and be there when the bell rings. All of these things that seem to connote holding us back from really doing what we want to do. And summer seems to have that connotation of like, the bonds of oppression are off. Run wild and free and enjoy the summer. And I, I think that there is a part of being human that, that we just continue to live with that struggle of rules and regulations and guidelines. And I've got bad news for the students and kids in the room. It really never goes away, friends. That this promise of 
freedom when you're an adult. When I've become that age, I'll do it this way, and I'll have it like I want it. And the reality of it is, is that there's always somebody out there. Somebody that you answer to, somebody that you have to live up to their standards, that you have to complete their obligations, or there are consequences to pay. And as you read the story of Scripture, it really is a story that rises and falls on whether or not God's people can see His law and His regulations as gift or if they see his law and regulations as bondage, something that's holding them back from what they really want most in life. And the book of Exodus is a wonderful book. You get through Genesis and you get into Exodus and and you kind of know the context of where we are in the story. God's people are in Egypt. They got there Because the Lord sent Joseph down to provide for them and provide food in a time of severe famine and drought. And while they're there, they multiply and they prosper. And they grow large in number. In fact, their prospering is part of what leads to their oppression. But ultimately, a Pharaoh comes up who does not know Joseph, who does not know his Lord, and sees the people of God as a threat. And so to keep them down, he enslaves them, makes life harder for them. The demands are higher, the expectations are unbearable. And they cry out to the Lord for deliverance. And the book of Exodus says that the Lord heard their cries. And through what would be an incredible movie if we could get someone to remake a a new telling of the Exodus, what, what is this powerful story, God over and over again shows his power against Pharaoh so that he might deliver them from slavery in Egypt. And the intent of God's work of redemption is important for us to know. That God did not deliver them from slavery in Egypt so that they could then go out and live their best life in the moment. It wasn't that they were to expect that they were like kids being freed for summer break and now it's like, let's go. Whatever we want, when we want it. But over and over again, the Lord would say to Pharaoh, let my people go, why? Do you know why? That they may serve me. Let my people go that they may serve me or you might translate that word worship me. So the whole intent in this work of redemption that God would do on behalf of his people is not that they would be saved from slavery in Egypt so that they could then go out and be their own lords. The intent of this work of redemption was that they would then be set free from slavery in Egypt so that they could then go out and be the people of God to live in a distinct and a holy and a set-apart way under the lordship of the creator of the universe. But there's hints early on this is not going to turn out well. That they're not really compliant kind of people. And you can read the book of Exodus and you think, if I was there, there's no way I would be like them. For crying out loud. I mean, they've seen locusts, they've seen frogs, they've seen darkness, they've seen gnats, they've seen rivers turned to blood. I mean, they've seen everything, and ultimately they saw 
the death of the firstborn. And that every firstborn male of every living thing in Egypt was killed when the angel passed over, except for whom? The Israelites who had put the blood over their doorpost. And they walked out and they saw the Exodus event as they walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. They had seen everything. But early on in Exodus, there is an indication that they are not people who were going to be easily led. They grumble, says it repeatedly. They grumble about all the things that aren't going their way. And there's even this thought in their mind, I wish we could just go back to slavery. Let's just go back. I mean, I know we were kind of complaining, but in hindsight, at least we had some meat back there. And I'll admit to you, that might have been the one that got me as well kind of a meat eater uh, myself. But they get out there in the wilderness and rather than see God as a redeemer who loves them and who had set them apart to go out and be a part of his purposes in the world, they saw the Lord as oppressive and they saw his leaders as those who were going to hold him back and they just wanted to go back. And when you get to Exodus chapter 20 and you get to this first telling of the Ten Commandments or the Ten Words. That's why verses 1 and 2 are so important and they're worthy of a sermon all into themselves. Because you might say, hey, we're doing the Ten Commandments, let's just jump right into number one. But the context of the story and what the Lord says to them before he gives them the Ten Commandments is so important. Listen again to what he says, I am the Lord your God. Now that ought to fall upon God's people as this incredible privilege that he gives us. Both Old Testament, Old Covenant, and New Covenant believers alike. That the Lord of all creation, who spoke everything into being with mere words, would desire to be in relationship with you and I uniquely, and that we get to be called the people of God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And that work of redemption, if that did not move and fall on God's people, then everything that comes after this is not going to work. That it's all going to look like rules, regulations. I have to do this. I can't do that. I can go here, but I can't go there. And apart from this relationship, apart from acknowledging that they were slaves who needed to be set free, and God did this incredible work of redemption for them, apart from that context, everything would seem like rules, laws, regulations, something else I can't do or I have to do. So Moses, when he delivers the Ten Commandments to God's people, starts by reminding them of who it is that is speaking to them. I'm the Lord your God who called you out of the house of slavery in Egypt. Imagine for a moment that you were dead to rights, that you had a life sentence, and that somebody paid your pardon and set you free in a way that you couldn't do it on your own. And that person introduces something and they say, hey, 
don't forget who I am and what I've done for you, it changes whatever's coming next, doesn't it? That that work of redemption and that relationship then changes all that's coming after this. And then we know how the story of the Old Testament goes. The people, over and over again, fail to see God's will as revealed in his commandments as gift that leads to abundant life. And over and over again, they disobey. And this cycle ensues. Disobedience, judgment, and the people come to their senses and they're delivered. And we think, okay, this time they're going to get it. And then the cycle goes over again. Disobedience, rather than seeing it as gift, judgment, punishment, repentance, return. And like I said, I would like to think that I would have done it differently, but, but I know my own heart. That just like the Israelites, I am sometimes prone to think that redemption is primarily about freedom. That I've been set free from slavery to sin and the fear of death, that I've been liberated. And so often I don't understand or think about the truth that, that I'm called to live into my baptismal confession of faith. That Jesus is Lord. And that now everything in me is yielded to God's plans and his purposes. Even when I don't feel like it. Even when I don't understand it. Even when it doesn't make sense to me. But I'm no longer my own, as Paul would say. I've been bought with a price. And that redemption leads now to obedience and seeking to live under God's lordship. There's a lot of exciting things, I think, in the future for our church. There's so many opportunities out there for us to, to see the Lord work in remarkable ways and to see his hand in ways that, that maybe we wouldn't even be able to understand or dream or ask for in this moment. But if I, if I had to tell you one thing that I think will be most important to us seeing and experiencing that. It will be us taking seriously the confession that Jesus is Lord. And that whatever comes after that, whatever the Lord calls us to as his people, it's not up for debate. It's not up for us to decide, well, yeah, I'm good with that today. That sounds fun. Maybe I'll try that or it makes sense. It really ultimately will be a matter of whether or not we acknowledge the, the lordship of Christ in our lives. I'll give you an example. Pretty soon this fall, what, what will we do? We'll get together a budget. Some of you, you wanted to groan even when I said it. Ugh, budget time. We're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about how much we give or how much we can't give. And there could even be a temptation to say, all right, what's our creative motto this year? What's our inspiring slogan to get people to give money this time? And as I think about giving or if I think about teaching Sunday school to kids or if I think about 
any number of things that will be important for us to be God's people and all that he calls us to be in this place, that ultimately each of those things flows out of this idea of whether or not we acknowledge the lordship of Christ in our lives. And if we do, if we do acknowledge the lordship of Christ in our lives, and if we do understand that everything that we've been given now is not ours, but is to be yielded to his plans and purposes in the world, then I think things like budgets and money and things like volunteers and servants and people who are going to show up and teach, I think all of that stuff ultimately will flow out of whether or not you and I take seriously that the God of all creation has called us into relationship with him through faith in Jesus Christ. And if we do, if we do see that everything that we have is yielded, then we're no longer, we're no longer giving money to a budget because somebody asked us to or made us. We're no longer serving in Sunday school or showing up to welcome people because we feel like we have to. But a totally different heart motivation is up and running in our lives. So it doesn't matter who's asking me. It doesn't matter ultimately how they ask me. But everything that flows out of me next is an expression that I've bended my knee. And I believe what we sing, is he worthy? Is he worthy of all worship? Is he worthy of every part of who we are? And if you and I as a group of people believe that, and the Lord's gracious by his spirit to move us in that direction, then I think we will look back and we'll say, wow, look at all that God has done in our lives. And I want to show you really quickly from Romans chapter 6 how this same idea is up and running in the New Testament. Paul's addressing obedience in the Christian life. He's addressing this issue, well, if it's all grace... If it's all through faith, if it's nothing of what I do, then why in the world does how I live matter? In fact, maybe I should sin more just to make grace look that much better. Listen to what he says, Romans 6, verse 15. What then, are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one to whom you obey? either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, but you've become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, listen to what you've become. You have become slaves to righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Paul says that just like the Lord redeemed his people out of slavery in Egypt, that they may be set free to serve him, in a similar way he's set us free from slavery to sin 
And not just so that we could go out and live however we decide to live. But that we would now become obedient slaves to righteousness. Leading to sanctification. Leading to a life more and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And as we work through 1 John this summer, the thing that ought to resonate in our minds and our hearts is that obedient to who God's called us to be as followers of Christ leads to lives that seek to live in keeping with God's commandments and his will revealed to us in Scripture. And that also leads to us loving other people how? Even as Jesus Christ loved us. And as people look at our lives individually and they look at our lives as the body of Christ, and they say, why in the you can be doing so many better things than being in church on a Sunday morning. Why in the world are you there? Because I'll tell you, on my drive-in, I saw lots of people doing other things. Walking or running or eating a donut and coffee, and part of it looks good. Or why would you give of your why would you give of your money to support what they're doing at Mount Brook Baptist Church? Why would you give money in the offering plate or support the capital campaign or why would you do all that why would you teach Sunday school one of the highlights of my morning I walked through the secure area on the second floor I got VIP all access in case you didn't know I can go anywhere in here I saw one of our Sunday school teachers with a bunch of 3k kids one of whom is mine Just sitting there faithfully teaching the Bible to them. Pulling up flannel board things and just. And I told her, I was like, if I could have come in there and not totally disrupted the world, I would have. Why would you do that? Why would she go? And I think ultimately the only answer that sustains us in that kind of life and ministry is this belief that that I've been redeemed. That the Lord of all creation, like we confess in that affirmation of faith often, that he came in the person of Jesus Christ and he took on flesh and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Then he was exalted. And where does he sit now? At the right hand of the Father. Position of authority. And he's called me to live this kind of life, and so I humbly yield myself to who he is. Because I owe him everything. And if that happens in us as a people, I think you and I will be astonished at what God would do. So I just ask you to pray that way, that a simple prayer for us this week, that all of us would acknowledge that the Lord is our Redeemer. If you're here and you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, that he's redeemed you and that, that you would understand that that redemption was not just for you and your freedom to go out and live however, but it was to be a slave of righteousness to serve him. And if the Lord would do that, you and I, I think we'll see him do amazing things in and through us. I invite you to pray with me. God, we thank you for... We thank you for your lordship in our lives, and we pray that you would help us to be 
obedient slaves of righteousness and that we would yield everything that we have to your plans and purposes in this world. And in the places where we, we think that we know better or in the places where we see your commandments as things that hold us back from what we would really love to do, Lord, give us soft hearts that would remember that you are our Redeemer. That when we had no claim upon you, you and your mercy and your grace sent Christ into the world that we might be your children. Lord, help us to live under your Lordship in a way that brings us joy and brings you glory. For the sake of your name in this place, we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.